fans and welcome to the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate joining me on this episode is a man that's been to over 30 national championships represented canada at the 2008 olympics in beijing china and was once mistaken for the mr clean man ron suchuk topics we cover are his work within professional baseball his work within the baseball canada umpire program and of course the 2008 olympics so sit back relax get ready it's coming Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Well, what can I say? We're back at it for another episode here on The Leading Edge. We're really excited to get this going. I have to start with an apology, okay? I am sorry that this episode is late getting out. I did promise it a week ago. I promised that it would be edited and ready to go. But I ran into some technical difficulties. I may not have transferred the file from one computer to another prior to me going on a holiday with my family. So the file actually sat at home on my desktop computer with the intentions of editing it on the road and getting it out to your listening pleasure. But that didn't happen. So I've been feeling kind of bad about it. I know all the listeners have been loyal and I do appreciate everyone that has come back week after week to tune into the new episode and hear people's stories and allow us to share with you the fantastic stories that are right across this country. So again, I'm sorry that this is late getting out there. This is an interview that I have hyped up and I am excited to get going. It's with another Canadian umpire legend, a man that's been to the 2008 Olympics, has done multiple international championships, has been to over 30 Baseball Canada National Championships, recipient of the Dick Willis Award, he is a Canadian icon and legend as well. A guy that goes by the name of Mr. Ron Suchuk out of Menendoza, Manitoba. Now one more time, please accept my apologies for the delay in it. But I promise you, if you're tuning in today, it is definitely worth the wait. And you are going to enjoy this. Now I'm going to give you a heads up. This is another interview that has been split into two different episodes. Simply for your listening pleasure and... It was more a logistic thing. I've been receiving some feedback saying, hey, can we try to keep the episode shorter? It's easier for me to keep track of. So because these were longer episodes, the decision was made to cut it down. Now I'm open to feedback. If this is not what more people want and you want them all in one big episode, I can put them in one big episode. I'm really just trying to get a vibe out there, taking the feedback of what the listeners are listening to, what they want. So I'm really trying to work it with you. So if you have any feedback, feel free to hit us up on the Podbean app, on our Facebook page. You know, just reach out, say, hey, I like this. I don't like that. I'll take it. I'll try to work with it. We'll see where it goes. Who knows? It might make the show that much better. Okay, well, while we're talking about it, I always do the little pitch. We have a little bit of social media, Leading Edge Umpire Stories on Facebook. Go look for it, search it, like it, share it. Please get involved. If you share it and like it and you send me your address, I will mail you out some stickers of the Leading Edge with our logo and some fun stuff, okay? So we're really just trying to get some engagement with the listeners and, you know, see what people are feeling out there these days. 
Okay, it's been a few episodes since I talked about it, but we have talked about it in the past and the COVID's out there and we're starting to get into fall and getting out of the outside and going back inside or hearing about it on the news. I don't really want to get in and hash about the news, but the one of the things I am concerned about with people are our mental health and our well-being. Now, statistically, there are people out there that suffer from what they call seasonal affective disorder in the fall, and it's a difficult time of year for people as the seasons change. So one thing you don't have to be ashamed about is if you do suffer from any mental health issues or you're feeling down, there are avenues and people out there that are willing to talk and help and, you know, work with you through some of your concerns, okay? One of the areas that we talked about in the past is the kid's help phone. It's not only for children or kids. It's available to anybody. And that number is 1-800-668-6868. That number again is 1-800-668-6868. Just remember, if you need somebody to talk to, you are not alone. So please do not think that you have to go about this alone. Okay, moving on. Let's do a little recap of the last episode. The last episode was the second half of the Jim Cressman interview. Jim was a 1988 Olympian, represented Canada as an umpire at the Olympics in Seoul, South Korea, got to work first base in the gold medal game, umpired Tino Martinez, Jim Abbott. He had some fantastic stories about being a reporter with the London Free Press, and he is a well-respected Canadian icon and umpire legend here in the country. So, in case you've missed that episode or you just want a little refresh of it, here's what we had to offer on that last episode. I still had to, there was times I still had to kind of pinch myself. That, uh, and I know that sounds so cliche. The guys in the truck told me to tell you, don't ever quit your day job for a singing job. You're not going to make it. It was nice. Got to fly up to Ottawa for the presentation. At the end of the inning, he comes down. He's got a Sharpie. I go over with the ball. I take the Sharpie and I sign it. I give it to him. It was the complete command center for the security of the Olympics. That's the greatest thing you could have ever done today. May all your balls be strikes. Come with us but you have to swear not to say anything. Well, Jim, you had to swear not to say anything, but we spent over two hours, over two episodes, talking about your historic career, and I'm sure we could have spent two more hours talking about a lot more. So thanks for saying something and sharing with us some of your fantastic stories from over the years. It was an honor, and we're proud to consider you part of the Leading Edge Umpire Stories family. Okay, I know you're tired of hearing me talk and you want to get right into the Ron Suchuk episode. I've kept you waiting long enough. So without further ado, Leading Edge Umpire Stories is proud to introduce an over 30-time experience umpire at the national championship level, a man that has done over nine international championships, including the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, China, and a man who is a three-time grand prize champion of the Menendoza Golf and Country Club Community Calendar, Ron Suchuk. Ron, welcome to The Leading Edge. Thank you for having me, Phil, and, and welcome to all the international umpires uh, from Saskatchewan. Well, thank you for that, Ron. I'm glad that you responded to the challenge of Mr. Jim Cressman and are joining us here on this episode. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on Leading Edge here and share with us your stories and your history of umpiring this fantastic game. Yes, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. I think we should we should have some stories for you that the viewers or the listeners find entertaining. That's always the goal here. So if we're going to get into the entertainment business, we always like to give our guests the opportunity to share with us their experience 
in baseball and maybe a little bit on the other side of the plate in the playing career. Can you share with us some of your baseball playing history? I started playing when I was about eight years old and actually I, I played in a in Russell, Manitoba, which is near my hometown of Binsgarth. And we, uh, we had some pretty good teams in, well, it's 12 and under at that time. And uh, we actually won the provincial championship and went to the first ever U-12 championship in Peace River, Alberta. From there, I continued to play baseball and actually started playing with my hometown, Binsgarth Orioles, kind of as a fill-in player when I was 15. And I played senior baseball in, in the Manitoba Senior Baseball League, four years with the Binsgarth Orioles. And then I was playing junior hockey up in Dauphin. And I played one year with the Dauphin Redbirds. I stayed up there in the summer and place where I was billing it was Andy Newton and he got me uh, playing with the Dolphin Redbirds so I played five seasons of, of senior baseball. So you say that you're a fill-in player what does that mean what position did you play? I was uh, when I was younger I was a catcher and then I became a utility player and then uh, my last three seasons I was a, a, a third baseman. Well that's a natural transition they say from catching to third base but more of a natural transition from catching to umpiring. Now I need you to answer me a question here. Is it true that all bad players are good umpires? Well, I was an okay player for someone who couldn't run and couldn't hit. And when I got up and there was two out, uh, I'd look over into our dugout and our guys would have their gloves on going, okay, let's go get ready to play defense. (laughs) Well, at least you were contributing to that defensive aspect of the game. That's always important. You need to get 27 outs to win the game. And usually I'd make three or four of them every game. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on from playing, Ron. How did you get into umpiring? I was doing pillow ball, commonly called softball, and I was actually uh, doing some pretty high-level men's softball and still playing baseball. And I was uh, I was at a game, and we were playing in a, in a game in a small town, and I was, was playing second base, and there was a, a guy threw a ball to me, and the guy was out by – it wasn't even close. And so I started arguing the call and, and kept arguing, and, and he says to me, he says, he got under the tag, and I said to him, I said, the only way he could have possibly got under my tag is if he was a gopher. And so now we <laughs> kept going and we kept going. Finally, he says to me, he says, that's it. You you can't argue the call anymore. And I says, okay, I'm not arguing. I just want to know something. What did you get in your umpire's exam? 53%. <laughs> That resulted in an injection. So when I was leaving, I yelled at, I yelled out in the field. I said, I could out-umpire any one of you guys. And Merle Clinic, who was a uh, math teacher of mine, he saw me in town a few days later and said, okay. And he took me up on the challenge and said, okay, next year you're going umpire. And next year I did. As a 20-year-old, I started umpiring senior baseball in Manitoba. From there, I went in 1981, I went to Australia. So I, I didn't umpire in Australia at all because I was there playing hockey. 1982, I, I became the umpire in chief of the Manitoba Senior <laughs> Baseball League. The next year, or in, in 1983, I became the uh, the umpire in chief of Manitoba. So you went from second baseman right to the top in a matter of three years. Well, at that time, it was different. Now it's such a development process. At that time, they would basically, if you could umpire, you'd you got games and if you got games you got to go and uh, and do them and I did my first uh, national championship in uh, in 1983 three years not even three years into umpiring I went from not ever done a baseball game to doing my first national championship I guess you were right when you said you could out umpire that guy back in 1981. Well, and then what's ironic is the next season in 1984, I did a, uh, there were four Manitobans. We did the uh, World Youth Championships in, in your part of the country in Kindersley, Saskatchewan. We look to talk about that championship in a little bit, Ron, but let's backtrack. 
Do you have any memorable provincial championships under your belt? Oh gosh, there's been so many of them, but one of the one of the best ones that, that I had is we were working in this little town called Kaleida, Manitoba, and I was working with Larry Nichols, who's famous in, in baseball Canada circles, and it's about, oh, 35 degrees, and the diamond's dirt. There's not a breath of wind. The one team gets up 12 nothing in the first inning. Nobody scores. Bottom of the uh, fifth inning, the, the, we're looking at a mercy rule. The one team, they get the bases loaded, and now a guy hits a ball in the alley. Well, the guy from third scores, the guy from second scores, well, the guy from first He couldn't run, and the ball arrives at the third baseman. All he has to do is flip it to the plate. We're out of there. He short hops it. The team gets three runs. The game, we would have been done in about an hour and five minutes. The game went three hours and ten minutes. It went into extra innings. (laughs) At the end of the game, Larry Nichols... He was so mad at the third baseman, he took he took a glove, took a ball, said to the third baseman, here, you and I are going to go practice. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted the third baseman to, to throw. Larry stood at home plate and said to the third baseman, here, you throw it here a couple of times just so you can do it. That was one of my, one of my most memorable uh, provincial championships, working with Crazy Larry. It was fun. You go from out umpiring a player as a player and then out playing a player as an umpire. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was unique there. It was just something. Larry, Larry would do things like that. And at that time, you could do those kinds of things. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun some of these these provincial championships. So moving on from provincial championships, you went to professional umpire school at one time. When was that? I went in 1993. At that time, they weren't allowing, there was no jobs for Canadians. I, I went down there knowing that. There, was, there wasn't a chance I was going to get a job. They made it very clear because of immigration rules. But I just wanted to get better as an umpire. In fact, how I got down to umpire school as I was doing in 1980 I was when I my first year the Canada national team was on a tour of Western Manitoba and they were playing all-star games all-star teams from Western Manitoba or Franchuk was the manager of Team Canada or Franchuk who's with the Edmonton or was with Edmonton in the Western League has a ring with Boston as a bullpen coach and he said he somehow we were at the bar after the game and Russell and Merle Clinic who umpired the game with me knew Orv and we were sitting there and Orv got talking he says how old are you and I said oh, I'm 20 and he says, why don't you go to umpire school? And I, you know, that kind of stuck in the back of my head. I really didn't know. Went, did some research on it, and, uh, sent a letter down to, uh, to the Wendelstadt Umpire School and, uh, and went in 1993 for the six-week course. So you say you wrote a letter, Ron. What was the process to really get into umpire school at that time? Well, you just paid your money and you went down there. And uh, the year that I was there, we had 206 students. I think it's the it's the largest class that they've ever had. Randy Marsh was the chief instructor. And of course, uh, Jerry Lane, who's still umpiring. And Charlie Relaford, who just recently retired, was there. And our, our top student that year was a, was a guy by the name of Rich Riker. And Rich Riker's still, uh, still in Major League Baseball as a supervisor. So we had Eddie Hickok was in that class. So we had a number of we had a number of guys that were uh, that went on to have successful major league careers. Now let's be honest here, Ron. That wasn't your only trip to umpire school. Now was it? I, I went to umpire school twice. So after after that, after going the, that year, I was teaching. I said, you know what? They they opened up the umpires or the job situation for Canadians because Ian Lampu had got a job. 
up and I went, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take one last shot at it. I was 31 years old and I went, you know, I've been teaching five or six years and, and I went, I, w- I still want to go down there to take a shot. So this time I went to the Jim Evans Academy in, in Arizona and I was there at the end of it. It was it was kind of bitter for me because Jim says, well, I could get you, you could easily do a ball You can get you an a ball, but you're 31 years old. The oldest guy they took that year was 25. So he said, you won't be in the game because he says this, this is a grind. And he says, you know, we're going to do you a favor and not put you in the game. And I went, well, you know, I, I wish I could have made that, that decision, but you know, they made it for me. So on, on I went with my amateur baseball umpiring career. Fair enough. And sometimes those are the cards that are dealt Now, you mentioned that they were not opening jobs to Canadians. We talked on the last episode with Jim Cressman, who was kind of at the forefront of that. What did it feel like going there, knowing that you weren't going to get a job or getting slighted because you weren't necessarily American? Like I like the first time I went to the Wendelstadt school, I had I went under no pretense was I going to get a job. In fact, they said if you were if you were American, you probably we would put you in the game. But I knew that I just wanted to get better. I was, you know, very raw at umpiring and I just wanted to, to learn more about umpiring. So the second time that I went there, I, I went there with trying to get a job and, and you know, that's, that's the way the, the cookie crumbles. Now you say that you spent some years as an amateur umpire, but you also have some professional baseball experience as well. It's not necessarily in the affiliate baseball world, but can you share with us your professional baseball experience? In 1993, they started a a league called the Northern League of Professional Baseball, and it consisted of six teams, and there was teams, a, a team in Thunder Bay, so they needed umpires to go down there. They really didn't have a whole lot of umpires themselves. So a guy by the name of Butch Fisher out of, uh, out of the Minneapolis area, he came up and we had a meeting. There was three or four of us, Brian Hodson and Glenn Johnson and myself. And we went, um, we would go to uh, Thunder Bay to work Thunder Bay Whiskey Jacks. From there, uh, we we stayed in that league or I stayed in that league till it, it became the American Association in 2010. So I spent 18 years in that league and it was, uh, and five of the, or four of those years was uh, was full time. I in 2000, they, they fired some guy, and the supervisor says, hey, if I can get you a visa, you're not teaching in the summer, we'll put you in, you, can you do a full-time gig? And I wound up doing a full-time stint in the, uh, in the Northern League in 2000, 2001, and 2002. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It was, uh, you know, it became a grind. Anytime that, you know, you're, you're working, you know, like in 2001, I worked, I think, 110 games. Combined with, uh, I did the the north or the northern league, and then I went to, and did a, a international tournament in Taiwan, which was professional. So that was a long and the playoffs. It was a long grind, but it was um, it was a lot of fun. Now you mentioned three names there, Ron: yourself, Brian Hodgson, and Glenn Johnson. All three is are part of an exclusive club with the Olympics, which we'll talk about here shortly. It's quite impressive to say that they gave three guys, four guys, a call up, and you guys started working that together. Looking back on it, what was it like working with those guys at that time before everything materialized eventually for you guys? Well, Glenn and I were, were good friends. Uh, we went to university together, played university hockey, so we were we were really good friends. Glenn was the kind of guy that 
he was the best handler of, of situations or one of the best handlers of situations that I've ever seen. And he became a, the supervisor of officials for the CFL. And we're, you know, he'd worked a numerous uh, great cups. But he could, I always said he could talk a dog down off a meat wagon. He was, he was that good <laughs> at, at handling situations. And Brian was just Brian. Brian's just a solid umpire. He, he was relatively new into umpiring at that time. But uh, he was a solid, solid umpire. And uh, we, we quite often worked. We worked with local guys. It was a different league, and we worked two man, and it was okay. uh, it was a crazy league. I remember the one they had guys like Leon Durham who played with the Chicago Cubs, and uh, they had the guy from uh, Rodney McRae. He went through the wall. He was the guy that yes. was with the Vancouver Canadians that went through the wall in Portland. And yes. After watching him play a season of baseball in the Northern League, I know why. Uh, this is a post show edit, so that you get an idea of Rodney McRae going through a wall. There's a link in the show description to see it. Now back to the show. The first time I saw Rodney McRae uh, play, there was Leon Durham was up and he he hit a ball. Rodney McRae took about five hard steps in as the ball landed halfway up the wall in center field behind him. Yeah, <laughs> he had a little trouble judging the ball. So, I guess he was there for the bat and not necessarily there for the defensive specialty. No, he couldn't hit either. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I have to. I'll tell you a story about Rodney and I and. Um, he had struck out like four times the game before, and now on the last game of the road trip, it's the first game back into Thunder Bay. And uh, the first time up, he swings at a pitch over his head for strike one. I call strike two. He then swings at a pitch a foot and a half outside for strike three. The next time he comes up, he takes takes one right down the middle. That you know, then then he swings at a pitch over his head. Then he then he leaves an O2 fastball that's a waste pitch. And then he takes a pitch right down the middle, and I throw him out. <laughs> and so we're we're going back and forth, and I have to terminate his his participation in the game. So I throw him out, and Rodney's there's five thousand people there. It's a Friday night, and they're starting to cheer his name, Rodney, Rodney. He's going at it, and we're you know calling each other you know not nice names. And he says to me, he says, "You ain't that good. If you were that good, you wouldn't be here." So I said to Rodney, I says, "Rodney, take a look around. We're in the same ball yard." He stops, takes a look around, and he goes, you're right, man, I ain't that good. <laughs> the manager starts, manager can, he goes, where do I get these guys from? My partner's doubled over, and away we went. Uh, you know, and that was the end of that. He just walked off the field. So, But it was uh, it was a lot of fun, the uh, the Northern League. Uh, you know, we worked three-man, and I worked with a, a guy by the name of Mike Trotter out of Jacksonville, Florida. Mike, to this day, him and I are, are best of friends. We we worked two seasons and never spoke a crossword to each other. He taught me a lot about preparation. He was he was anal in his preparation. His his uniform was absolutely spotless. His uh, he would he would get to the park an hour and a half before games and stretch. And he was uh, he was a very serious umpire. And he uh, he taught me a lot about umpiring. I taught him how how to call a lot more strikes. And he taught <laughs> me how to how to get mentally prepared for games. It's a give take relationship. We learn something, I think, every day, and I think that's the important thing about umpiring is trying to improve every time we get out there. If we don't, I, I think, you know, if it, it, the minute that, that even at my age, if, if we stop learning, then we, we might as well do something else. We might as well go permanently to the golf course because you're right. There's, there's no question that every, every game, every situation is, is a learning experience. Now, Ron, you mentioned that you were a full-time umpire in the Northern League for a while. Can you fill us in on what some of the perks are of being a full-time umpire in any league? 
the biggest thing about working full time is 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 how the how it worked was there'd be two full time guys and they'd work with a local guy, and when you're a full time guy, the minute that you walk out you walk out on the field, there's that instant respect, and and professional baseball is you are there because they believe you can do the job until you prove otherwise. In amateur baseball, you're lousy until you prove that you can umpire. But in professional baseball, they gave you a lot more respect as a full-time umpire than they ever did as a so-called local. Now, Ron, we often hear about the lack of respect provided to officials in sport. But in this situation, can you fill us in and maybe elaborate more on what respect is from players, coaches, and organizations towards full-time umpires? If there's a close play. Okay. They may they may not come out on a on a full time guy where they may come out on a on a guy that's that maybe does only ten or fifteen games in in their city a borderline pitch you know they know that you can call that borderline pitch the outside pitch at the at the at the knees on the outside corner they know you can call that they leave you alone a, a lot more and they just give you that little bit more rope and you know maybe on a, on on an obstruction call they won't question that obstruction call. Whereas maybe with a guy that's you know that does the eight or ten or twelve games in their own city, they may they may go after them on that call a lot more. I know that I've had the opportunity to work full time for longer stints at a time in the Western Canadian League, and I know that one thing that I've learned is if you see a team in City A tonight, and then you see that same team tomorrow night in City B, they understand it. The team somehow just respect that you're going through the same grind as they are. You're out there to do a job. And you actually take your job seriously rather than just coming out for a quick buck tonight. Oh, sure. If they see you in, if they see you on Tuesday night in Swift Current, and then Wednesday night in you, the, Yorkton might have been in Swift Current, and then Yorkton sees you on Wednesday night in their own park, they go, "Hey, this guy is this guy is the he's the deal because he's he's just not a shirt filler. He's a right. you know, and it's not it's, it's it's a term that you that you know maybe I I use a little loosely, but." They know that that you're there, that you are the real deal, and that you you know. And and the other thing too is, you don't well. You might not want to make a guy mad that they know they are going to see four or five or six more series in 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 a year. Right. So that's always another. That's always another thing. They get the idea that you're putting in the miles just as much as they are, and putting in putting in those extra Big Macs every once in a while <laughs> on the road. Try to stay away from that stuff when, when you're uh, when you're working uh, full time because uh, that'll add some pounds. Now back to the Northern League, Ron. You say you do 110 games one year and you're on the circuit for 18 years. Do you have any more memorable experiences or games from that league? One of the things was is I is when I worked with Mike. Mike uh, belonged to an organization that that, had, that starts with with two A's. He never missed a meeting. I mean, uh, we would go and, and Mike liked to travel at night, so. We might be in Sioux City going up to Fargo, and we might get in at four or five in the morning. And Mike would go to a, a meeting uh, for his for self worth, and he would go to a meeting the next day. So yeah, it was uh, you know it was it was it was good that way. But we had guys, we had some pretty good managers in that Hal Lanier and and Doug Simonuk and Doug Simonuk and I. Uh, we went, but we 19 years. I I never threw him out once, but boy, we had some funny discussions. I. I remember I was uh, doing a game one night in uh, in Lincoln, and and they were getting kicked, and it was near the end of the first half, and he I went out to get him a pitching change, and he says to me, he says, hey, he says the Red Hawks we're down a we're down a dozen, and and them other guys that we're fighting for first place, they're up a dozen, and he says. 
today is not very good. We're going to need some help from from somebody. And I said, well, who do you think you're going to need help from? And he goes, how about you? And I said, ah, Doug, today I had lunch. And I said, I had Chinese. And the fortune cookie said today would be a day of honesty and integrity. So it's going to have to be that. And guess what? You you want a lefty or the righty? And he says, ah, darn it, I'll take the lefty. He said. <laughs> we had a, we had a lot of a lot of stories like that. He was. I remember we were in uh, in Sioux Falls one day, and three two pitch comes with the bases loaded, and it was a borderline pitch up. And I call his his number four hitter out. Number four hitter never said a word and nothing. And all of a sudden, I hear. He, he looks at me, and uh, after about two warm-up pitches, he goes, hey, Chief, because he always used to call me Chief. He goes, hey, Chief, that pitch is up. And I says, right at the belt. So I, I brush <laughs> off the plate, and the next thing I hear is a whistle, and he's got his pants pulled up under his armpits. <laughs> so I, I just yell at him. I says, pull him up tighter right around your throat and choke yourself. And he goes, I got the message, Chief, and that was it. You know. So those are, those are some of the things that, you know, that he was he was kind of a – he was kind of a – fun guy to work he you know he could get if he didn't like you he, he would get get kind of ornery with you but for some reason i had a good relationship with him and uh and it was it was okay now another name you threw out there was hal near kevin manzik was on a previous episode a few weeks back and he mentioned about his experience with hal near in the can-am league and he had the opportunity to ask that gentleman to hit the showers early how was your working relationship with hal hal was an absolute professional and Hal, the only thing Hal knew in baseball or in the world was baseball. And, and he, he spent 50 some years in the game, but this is how Hal was. His team would be up four to one and it would be the bottom at home. He'd be in Winnipeg. It'd be four, one, the bottom of the eighth. And you'd call a pitch on a hitter and a hitter didn't like it. Hal would just scream at that hitter, get back in the box and hit because Hal knew it was way more important for me to be happy as an umpire, not <laughs> mad at his team for the top of the ninth, and he's got a three-run lead, you know, and that's and that's what he was like. Hal was Hal was absolutely great about things like that. And, and I remember I I threw Hal out one night in uh, in Fargo, and then I didn't see them, and I saw them down in Lincoln about three series later. And we go to the home plate meeting, and Hal's Hal's always always buried things. In fact. After the plate meeting, the, he went back to the dugout. Now he's now he's going out to coach third, and he goes by and gives me a pat on the back, and he says, have a good one today, Ron. Never did that, but he wanted me to know that today was a new day and what happened. And, and I, I realized he was just trying to fire up his team, and, and so that was the kind of guy that Hal Lanier was, very, very much of a, of a professional, and he, he expected his players to play. He expected you to umpire, and that's how, that's how it was with Hal. We don't get a World Series ring by not being a professional, that's for sure. Moving on, Ron, you got the chance to work the Canadian Baseball League for the short stint that it was. Can you share with us the experience of working professional baseball in Canada and working a league that was deemed or marketed as exclusively Canadian? It was a really interesting league. It, it, the concept was good. They had four teams in the West and four teams in the East. They had suddenly Saskatoon, Kelowna, Calgary, and Victoria. And they were okay in terms of, of drawing fans. But the problem was the East, they had Montreal and, and some other teams there, and they just didn't draw. And the league lasted about, uh, oh, I don't know, a month and a half, two months. And they, they, was, they would basically only play Thursdays to uh, – they had a Thursday to Sunday, and I think they had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. And you talk about it being uh, exclusively Canadian – we used to joke about it being, we used to call it the Latin American League South or that Latin American League North because it, 
most of the players were Latin. And and the baseball was okay. They had guys like uh, Floyd Yeomans in that league that pitched with the Expos and was twice he finished uh, second in strikeouts to Steve Carlton. So it was interesting. Uh, it was okay. I mean, and then it just one day just folded. So Yeah, the league made it to the All-Star game and ran the All-Star game and ran a home run derby and really didn't get a home run in the home run derby. And... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that might have been a sign that, yeah. that maybe this this was an experiment gone bad. Who were some of the Canadian umpires, and how was the umpiring set up in that league? We worked three man in that league. The guy that ran the league was uh, well, uh, was Howard Chapman, I believe, but also Ian Lamp, who was involved. And we had three umpires, and I worked with uh, I worked a series with with Corey Davis and Ted Durpak, I remember in in Calgary. Then uh, they had a they were trying to get more teams in the league, so they had uh, Moose Jaw was in that uh, was in a running for a team, and they had a, a three game series. And I worked with Rocky Nickel and uh, and Rick Haley, and it was it was funny because Rocky was doing the first plate of the of the series and uh, or the second plate of the series. I had the first one and it went about two twenty. Rocky knocked off about a one forty five, oh, wow. and then the next ne- next night, Rick Haley knocked off about a one thirty five, and for a nine inning game, it was they swung the bats. I'll give them that. That was that was the one good thing about that league. Having quick games like that that can't be good for TV revenue. Not at all. Let's come back to the West Side run, and you talk professional baseball in Western Canada. At one time, there was the Prairie League of Professional Baseball. Can you share with us your experiences with that league? Um, that was a league that was kind of a, a step lower than the uh, Northern League, and they had teams all over North Dakota and Saskatchewan, and Brandon had a team. And it was, uh, you talk about what Ron DePaul said about doing a, 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 the penal league. There was a lot of guys in that league that they were very, very difficult to handle. They, The managers were always weren't... Um, that good and weren't that well versed in professional baseball. Some of them were college coaches. Some guys were guys out of the academy. And then you'd have some really good professional managers like Greg Olson, who was with the Atlanta Braves. He uh, he was a manager in that league. I was unfortunate because I worked a lot in Brandon, and Brandon was they they were there the two seasons that I worked. I don't know if they hit double digits and wins either season. So it was, uh, it was interesting. And, and they were tough to handle. I think I did 24 games in one year. And I think I had 12 ejections and I had to do a math lesson one time with a hitter. It was, <laughs> this is, this is crazy. It was, they had this one guy who was just irritating that like he, and he was terrible ball player. And he was, he wasn't a real good person. And he would be, he was always complaining about this, complaining about the field, complaining about his teammates, complaining about the other team, Complaining, I mean, anything he could c- complain about, he did. So um, I punch him out on strike three one time, and he starts get kind of giving it to me. And I go, hold it. I pull out my lineup card, and I says, excuse me. I says, you're hitting ninth. And he says, yeah, so what? And I says, your team's in last place. And he goes, yeah. I said, did you go to college? He said, yeah. I said, well, you can do the math. I said, you're hitting ninth on a last place club. That makes you the worst hitter in the league. <laughs> <laughs> the man, so now I get, a, I get a visit from the manager, who was a new guy that they brought in at the end. It was, it was Brian Clutterbuck, and he was, he was an ex-major league guy, and he was a really good guy. Knock on the umpire's room, and he says, 
can I talk to you? And I said, okay. I says, well, he says, what happened between you and my number nine hitter? And I explained to him about how this kid complained and blah, blah, blah. And he says, yeah, he's not a very nice kid, is he? <laughs> Next day he released him. <laughs> oh, oh, so, so oh, I guess one of us won. I guess so, one yes. of you won too. That's just a classic example about being professional and that professionalism is not just about being able to hit or throw a ball. It's about being a well-rounded individual and how you interact with everybody and you're always being evaluated. Now, one more, Ron. Can you share with us your American Association work? The American Association started, it was about 207, and they were competing against, there were some teams that broke away from the Northern League, and then the Northern League tried an experiment going up to uh, to Calgary and Edmonton, and that didn't work, and they were down to six teams. So the American Association, uh, they absorbed uh the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and Fargo and I believe uh, Gary and another couple of teams into into their their league and I worked that league in uh, in 2011 and, and it was uh, it was a little different uh, they had a supervisor the uh, the supervisor of umpires wasn't they they I would say nickel and dime uh, you know they stopped paying me mileage to come in I lived two hours away and they didn't provide a hotel room after that like they did the first year but the next year in 2012 and I said this is enough of this and I was done so yeah so that was my my last stint and you know it was, it was 19 years and 900 games of professional baseball and it was a lot of fun a lot of good memories but uh, that was that was my, the end of my my professional career. Ron, well, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask how many games you did in professional baseball, but 900 is the answer. Considering our theme is baseball, that's something to shake a bat at. No, it's, um, you know, there was years where, like I said, I did 110 games one season. And, you know, even when you work full time, you're you're looking even, even sometimes I couldn't get series off in June because I was working, but they would put me in, in Fargo and in Winnipeg and I would do almost a full 100 game schedule and I have 96 game schedule. That's a lot of games. I agree with you. And being expected to be perfect every night, traveling thousands of kilometers as the summer goes on. That's that's a grind. And compound that with travel. Like sometimes you're, you know, you do a game. Like I remember doing a game in St. Paul, finished the game and went 13 innings. I had to drive the next day all the way to Lincoln and do a two o'clock in the afternoon game and get like get in at six in the morning. Well, you know, that's I'm not so sure that's good for your health. And I'm not so sure it's it's all that safe. This is a post show edit. Just to give you an idea, driving from St. Paul to Lincoln, Nebraska, it is six hours and 16 minutes, according to Google Maps. Now back to the show. And I think that minor league baseball has recognized that over the years and talking with some umpires that they don't let them drive at night now. They really try to work with them to say, you can only drive during the daylight. You know, it's all logistics and it's also keeping their umpires safe. It's the health and well-being all the time. Well, we hear that you've worked 900 games of professional baseball, Ron, but one of your biggest accolades is the work that you've done within the Baseball Canada National Program. How did the Baseball Canada Program come to be? It was back in the early 1980s. It was basically run by a group of, I believe, four individuals, Dave McManus out of out of the Maritimes and Howard Chapman and Dick Willis, which the uh, Dick Willis Award for Umpire of the Year is, is named after. I believe Emilio and Cote, they started it. And then um, about 1982 or 83, 
they brought in the provincial bodies and and then they would uh, they'd have national meetings with the provincial supervisors and so that became the way that it was ran for a while and then uh, I believe it was about 2014 they went back into what's called a portfolio system so now how Baseball Canada is run is there are portfolios so they have uh, the supervision and evaluation they have the high performance they have communications and then they have the instructor development portfolio so those and then they have the grassroots so they have basically five portfolios each one is responsible for a certain area and uh, that's how the baseball canada umpire program works now and then in consultation with the provincial associations a lot of work is done at that level for sure we're going to come back and talk about the portfolios in a little bit ron but let's talk about your experience over the years how many national championships have you been part of? Well, this is kind of interesting. I, I really didn't realize how many I'd been there. And then when I came back from my winter holiday uh, and this COVID hit, I had a bunch of baseballs and all this kind of stuff. And I started I started getting a labeler and putting on where, where each one had gone. And I, I realized that I had done 31 national championships either wow. as a as a supervisor or as an umpire. I think it was 16 as an umpire and 15 as a, as a supervisor. Now, Ron, being involved with that many championships, where are some of the communities that you have been to? Some of my memorable ones, I always, I always like going out east. I've been to, uh, I was out in Kentville, Nova Scotia for the senior in 85, and I was in Dartmouth back-to-back in, in 2009 and 2010, and then I was in, in Miramichi in 2011. I mean, that wasn't quite as enjoyable, but the tournament was Oh, good, hold there, hold there. That's me hometown by... Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> they did a good job, but it was, there was other stuff that happened. I've done a couple of national championships in uh, Stonewall in Manitoba as a supervisor, but I've been fortunate enough to, to go from coast to coast, and the only provinces that I have not umpired in is uh, Newfoundland, and I turned down the 2016 uh, national there, and, and Prince Edward Island. So those are the only two provinces that I haven't umpired or supervised at. So I've been very fortunate to go, as Sir John A. Macdonald said, from sea to shining sea. That's Sir John A. Macdonald. He was a fantastic guy, wasn't he? Now let's go back to Miramichi. I was involved with that tournament, helping out, volunteering, being around the field. Now there's a chance there's a few Miramichi listeners out there listening to this podcast. But fill us in a little bit with the pre-tournament dinner for the umpires and the experience that was provided. The pre-tournament dinner was absolutely unbelievable. We took a, a river cruise uh, down the Miramichi River, and uh, we had lobster. And, um, of course, you're at a national championship, and nobody nobody wants to partake in, in any adult beverages or maybe have one just to be sociable. But we had, you know, some some guys had a couple. But, um, you know, and then we, that was our, our pre-tournament meeting, our pre-tournament function. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, there we are, going down the Miramichi River and under the bridge and a uh, beautiful part of the world. Now, like I said, I'm from the Miramichi, so I might be biased, but the Miramichi is a beautiful part of the world. You ever get the chance to travel there? I highly recommend it. It was, and uh, the tournament itself was was interesting. Unless you've been to a senior out out in that part of the world, the, the intensity level is is crazy. When it was Fredericton was when they play Miramichi, there's three four thousand people in the stands, and it's it's a, it's a very very intense rivalry. Now, Ron, we talked about that rivalry previously on another episode with Dave Cass, but that is a rivalry that is. Second to none, you can't beat it, I don't think, in the Canadian baseball world. 
Now, on that specific championship, I believe there was a rain day on Sunday, which pushed the championship day till Monday. Fredericton and Miramichi, or they go by Chatham, the Ironmen, were facing off against each other for the bronze medal game. And in that championship, they actually moved the gold medal game to be played before the bronze medal game because the tournament ended up finishing on Monday. And if you put the host versus the provincial rivalry as your bronze medal game at 8 o'clock, you get more fans. You get a better gate. The championship just does well financially and it makes it very much more to host in future years. Yeah, we had a we had a rain delay Sunday and then uh, they did play the championship. I believe it was like 5 and 8 o'clock and the 8 o'clock game did feature, it was a bronze medal game, but they had probably 4,000 people in, in at Ironman Park in, in Miramichi. Now, Ron, if memory serves me correctly, did you do that game? I worked first base in the uh, bronze medal game. It we had we had some we had some dicey situations. We had a situation where uh, Miramichi was getting beat, and a guy from Fredericton hit a home run, and they are kind of exchanging words, the pitcher and the and the guy that hit the ball. And so I, for some reason, I my partners were kind of oblivious to what was going on, but I went, nah, this isn't good. So I went right to the pitcher's mound and I told the pitcher, you're going to stand right here and don't you move. <laughs> and now, and now. The guy that hit the hit the ball, he comes running at home plate, jumps with two feet onto the on the home plate. Well, of course. he his two feet hit him, and I basically tackled him and and run him right into his own dugout. <laughs> and uh, and now there, you know, there's still words being exchanged. So I said to the manager, I said, uh, I said, you know what, we're going to have to give warnings. He's no, you're not. I'm pulling my pitcher. So he pulled the pitcher, and after that, things really settled down but you know i knew that you know they had played together before so i'm thinking well something's wrong here but you know it was they had, i guess they had issues off the field and so i went ah you know when when i i went to a lot of those senior championships and it just doesn't you know it just doesn't go real well when you see things like that and you go there's something wrong here and, and you know you kind of perk your ears up and and so that was that was one of the things that happened at, at miramichi now there's no question miramichi is definitely a baseball town the community pops up multiple times in the episode. Like I said, I'm biased. I'm from the community, and I always enjoy hearing stories from the Miramichi and sharing with listeners. So thank you, Ron, for adding to the Miramichi stories here on The Leading Edge. Now, Ron, on the topic of championships, do you have a favorite championship that really sticks out for you in your mind or a favorite one altogether? They're all unique, and every one of them, you take you take something away from it. The One of the first ones I did was the seniors in 1985 in uh, Kentville, and Kentville won that tournament, and it was I was fortunate enough to do the gold medal plate in that game, and it was one of the most bizarre games I, I ever remember. It was 6 nothing for Tecumseh Green Giants out of Ontario, and there was, they played nine innings at that time, and with one out in the... Uh, Eighth inning, a guy hit a lazy fly ball to right field for the second out. And so Tecumseh's got two out and nobody on. And all of a sudden, a catcher from Tecumseh says, well, four more outs and we're Canadian champions. Well, by the time they got the next out, the game was tied 6-6. Tecumseh lost it on a drop fly ball in left field. And there was like 6,600 people there and uh, in, a, in a place that seats maybe, what, 3,500. It was nuts. And Tecumseh uh, lost it. And and uh, the Kentville Wildcats won it, and it was a it was a crazy game. It was they was they were just nuts in that in that place. So that was one of the first ones that I remember. It worked, and you know, you usually wasn't used to working in such in front of such such crowds. 
When it comes to senior baseball and the Maritimes, there's really no debate. The Nova Scotia Senior Baseball League has a fantastic league that puts on a great show, as well as the New Brunswick Senior Baseball League that has teams from New Brunswick as well as Prince Edward Island. Now, there's a community that you mentioned right there in Tecumseh. They're pretty big on the Baseball Canada National Circuit, too. The Tecumseh, Windsor area, and the Windsor area, yes, they're, uh, they're, Windsor's, hosted, uh, Windsor's hosted numerous uh, national and international championships. I was fortunate enough to do the... Uh, the 1987 uh, World Juniors in in Windsor, and I I supervised a tournament in 2013, the seniors, and then uh, in 2003 I was at that single site that had the famous fo- uh, power failure. So yeah, I've been to Windsor three or four times. It's a it's a baseball town. Like guys like Bernie Soulier, and of course the former uh, umpire in chief of Canada, Don Gilbert, was from that area. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a big baseball area. And these senior teams, they go to these championships with the idea to win. They bring in some big players. I should not even say bring in big players. There are good baseball players that play senior baseball here in Canada. You talk about that 2011 Chatham Ironman team. They had former Major League player and now current president of Baseball Canada. Jason Dixon was a part of that national championship team. And every team has their big names, whether they play Division One schools or they've gone on to play major minor league professional careers. So baseball and senior baseball in Canada is a big deal. And umpires, they don't realize how much of a step up that senior championship is from other tournaments, from the Canada Cup, from even the U21. The game management aspect at that senior tournament you have to be on your ball, on the ball, because things will happen and, and stuff happens and guys will get thrown at and you'll have collisions at home played and, and it's not a walk in the park. And, and I'll be honest with a lot of umpires about this is they think they can do that championship because they do local senior baseball. That is a step up. It is truly, that national championship is truly a step up. And when you're playing in front of 3,000, 6,000 people, the intensity gets there and the adrenaline starts running. And we know what happens to hockey players when they tie their skates too tight. The blood stops flowing to their head. But I will say sometimes that happens in baseball as well. There's nothing worse than than tying your cleats uh, around your ankles and cutting off the circulation to the gray matter. Yes. And we've seen that happen probably once or twice. No, I mean, you know... I call it good old country hardball is is totally different than those than those tournaments. Those tournaments, uh, we've had some. I've been involved in some serious brawls and some spikings at second base and catchers getting run over and uh, yeah and and they you see the same teams there every year almost. So that oh, yeah. also adds to the yes. uh, the intensity and, and the rivalry. Yes, last year you knocked me off. I want to knock you off just as bad this year. And unlike some of the minor minor championships where players develop at you know three-year intervals and then they're gone they can't stay around these guys and players and whoever they are could be around for 20 years oh there's there's players still playing uh, when i did the last one in um, in 2017 in victoria there was players that i had seen 10 15 years ago and they were still playing and same managers you see a lot of the same managers the, the gillies bob gillies out of the, the uh, Dartmouth and, and those kind of guys. You, you see all those guys at these tournaments. It's like a big family. Everyone comes back for an annual reunion almost sometimes. Since you brought it up, Ron, what was your championship day assignment in that tournament? Where at? Victoria 2017. Oh, uh, it was, uh, I was fortunate enough to, 
to work behind the catcher. Uh, I, you know what, it was, it was, it was one of the, that tournament really renewed my faith in, in how we do things in, in terms of, it was, a, it was a teaching tournament. Uh, Steve Boutang and Corey Davis and Ben Mercier supervised, but they were working supervisors and it was just a fun tournament. We worked four man and we taught, we did it a lot like T12 and uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about T12, but yes. it was a learning experience. It was, we would have a working supervisor on the field or Brian Hodson was there and I was there and between innings we'd have discussions and it, we ran it more like a clinic and it was just a lot of fun. And I give nothing but kudos to Steve and to Corey Davis and to Ben Mercier for, for taking on that challenge. And not a lot of people like to be working supervisors. It's something that some people are good at it. Some people really don't like it. And they did a fantastic job. We had a great group of individuals. It was a fun tournament it was a it was and i really had a had a great time at it and it's not just from the supervisor standpoint that you have to be good at being a working supervisor it does take the umpires to want to engage in that model because it's easy to sit on the field and get feedback afterwards but to get that ongoing feedback it does take a, a, a different kind of individual it does and and um and while, you know, while we're at it, I, you know, we do the same at T12. And for those that aren't familiar with T12, it's a, it's a tournament that Robbie Alomar, number 12 with the Toronto Blue Jays, and they hold it at the Sky Dome and we bring in international candidates for. And it's a, it's a fun, fun tournament. Uh, I do, I've done it five years or six, six years, I guess, as a working supervisor. And I, and I like it. Uh, we have a supervisor in the stands, a supervisor on the field, and uh, the feedback, it's, it's more of a teaching clinic, and it's a, it's a great, great tournament, a great opportunity. I mean, for five or six days, these umpires come in. They, we use Major League Umpire Locker Room. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's, it's, a, it's a learning experience. The game management isn't there because these kids aren't going to act up. But what it does is it takes uh, umpires out of their comfort level. If you're not used to working for umpire system and, you know, you, and everything is getting critiqued, it takes them out of their, their element and uh, it challenges them in that way. Tournament 12 or T12 does sound like a fun experience. And it's something that all umpires in Canada should aspire to try to get to. Now, since we're talking about fun, Ron, who are some of the people and some of the fun experiences that you've had within the Baseball Canada umpire program over the years? Oh, boy, we've uh, I've worked with so many, so many guys. Uh, some of my best friends around this country are, are uh, umpires. And, uh, you know, like just working, just sitting around and talking umpiring with it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, you know, we go to these tournaments. We're all the same. We all... We all come from different parts of the of the country, and um, yeah, I mean, I obviously I, I like working with uh, with Steve Butang, who's one of my one of my best friends, and I, I like working with with Corey Davis. I I supervise with both Corey Davis and Jim Cressman at at the 2013 Senior. I was almost ready to quit the program. I didn't know if I was all that interested, and I went with those two guys, and we supervised the the 2013 Seniors, and had a great time, and. I went, ah, I kind of, I love that. And, and another guy that I, you know, I don't work national championships with, but I work with, with Andrew Higgins and, and 
and he's uh, he's one of my favorite people. But you know, I worked I worked a lot of tournaments with Jim Cressman, and he's just a character. Him and Donnie Gilbert, I worked a lot of tournaments with both those guys. And uh, you know, back in the in my when I was starting, I worked with one of the greatest human beings in the world is is Howard Chapman, and he was just he we used to just mess with Howard, and he was he was funny. I, one time at a, at a national convention, they they put a pumpkin in uh, in Howard Chapman's room. <laughs> he couldn't get they had, they had to get the doorman to get it get the hinges off so they could uh, they could put it in and he was the kind of guy that you know he was just so easy to play to play pranks on and and uh, I, I liked working with him and I worked a lot of tournaments with uh, Stefan DuPont out of Quebec so those are the kind of guys that uh, you know and out of the Maritimes I, I worked with Andrew Downs I worked with Darren Scott Darren's one of the classiest guys i know i yeah. worked uh, well out of the pan am games but i also worked t12 uh, t12 with darren and just a great great individual so you know those those are the kind of guys that, that you remember had so many great friends because of because of, of baseball i couldn't agree with you more ron darren scott a very classy individual who i've had the opportunity to mentor under in new brunswick and for those listening, Darren had the opportunity to work his first national championship gold medal plate last year at the Canadian National Men's Senior Championship. I'll say it, back in Miramichi, New Brunswick, where the hometown Chatham Ironman took the gold medal game. That gold medal game featured, as Ron mentioned, the field was packed. I bet you there was 4,000 people there in an intense game that really came down to the last out. It was phenomenal and Wow. You had to be there to experience it. It was just something that I had never experienced in all my years of living on the Miramichi, no matter how intense the baseball was. This is a post-show edit. For those listening, I am putting a link to a video of the game in its entirety, albeit a cell phone video from above home plate, but still an opportunity for you to see and experience what a national championship is like in the Miramichi. Now, in case you wanted to know, the umpires for that game were Behind the plate, of course, was Darren Scott out of New Brunswick. At first base, Blaine Gallant out of Nova Scotia. At second base, please forgive me for the pronunciation, but Hugo Lafreniere out of Quebec. And at third base, Chris Nutsy Norton out of Ontario, who has been previously referred to on the Matt Shule episode. Okay, enough of this. Let's get back to Ron's episode. Now, Ron, you say you like working with Steve and Darren over the years. That must mean you really get no problems when you're trying to cross the Canadian border and get back into Canada. <laughs> well, working with working with Steve, it's it's too easy. He's 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 too easy to get wound up, and and, <laughs> and the minute that you get Steve wound up, there the players don't have a chance. He's screaming at them and yelling at them and rah, 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 growling at them, and and yeah, he's he's he's, he's funny, and yeah, those guys both uh, both keep our country safe. Ron, you are absolutely right. Couldn't be more thankful for the law enforcement, border security people, and all the people that devote their lives and careers to keeping our country safe. So for anyone involved in any type of security, law enforcement, border patrol, thank you for all you do. And with that thank you to our hardworking law enforcement agencies and border protection service agents, we think that right now is the perfect time to take a break from the interview with Ron Tuchuk here on The Leading Edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on the next episode where Ron talks about his international experience, his trip to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, China, and leaves us with Uncle Ron's words of wisdom. Now, before you go, 
we would like to leave you with this. There's a rule myth out there that states the ball is dead anytime an umpire is hit by the ball. I think we can all agree that this is incorrect. But one thing we can agree on is that anytime an umpire is hit by the ball, the only thing that dies is just a little piece of the umpire. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. <laughs>